Okay, I don't want to start talking about the Osborns, but what a wild time. What do you want to talk today. about today? I was thinking friction in video games. Frick? What is friction in video games? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we came up with this term when we were discussing, like, things we wanted to talk about. And I don't exactly remember. I'm guessing because it's me, I was talking about Dark Souls, because that's all I ever talk about. When it comes to video games, apparently. Um, or maybe it could have been Doom. Because I think we were just talking about how, like, when you're, when you're making games or making levels for games or whatever, I think, <laughs> like, you want to have things that are difficult for the player and things that are, like, obstacles to overcome. But there's that, and then I think adjacent to that, there's things that irritate the player <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, and maybe they're not necessarily, like, strictly built in to make things more difficult, but, like, I think friction can definitely encompass difficulty, but I think there's also just things that the player rubs up against that are there to make things a little more dynamic, a little more interesting, uh, get in your way a little bit, but they're not necessarily fully structured around difficulty. And I think, um, like, Nukage, I think, in Doom is a very good example. Uh, and it does make things more difficult, obviously, uh, because the floor damages you, so that's more difficult by nature. But I think part of it is also, like, it's established in the environmental design that this particular, you know, green slimy stuff, you shouldn't step in that. So it's like, it's an element of the level that uh, is a little bit outside of difficulty, but, you know, somewhat, somewhat in the same ballpark. Yeah, I did a quick Google just to see, you know, if this term is a term before you said, let's talk about it, uh, like, what, eight months ago now? And, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely Google results of people talking about uh, friction and games and how it's, uh, uh, you know, supposed to enhance the experience, but it can cause annoyance. And, you know, here's a game developer article on, like, uh, you know, frictional elements are... Uh, can get in the way of gameplay, but, you know, could have value elsewhere. So, yeah, I think it could be fun to talk about. Because the one big one that springs up in my mind was that new Zelda game that came out that we talked about. Uh, and it has that weapon break mechanic. And people mm -hmm. just can't stand that shit. Some people <laughs> just hit. Oh, man, like Twitter was on fire with people yeah. just like, this game would be so good if they just remove the stupid weapon break mechanic. It, quote, unquote adds nothing to the game so you you i haven't played that game yet still but you were playing your way through it what was your experience with the weapon break mechanic in zelda well it's in breath of the wild as well which okay. came out before tears of the kingdom which is the more recent one mm -hmm. uh and i i did not like it then either <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i wouldn't say it adds nothing to the game like i can kind of see why they why they decided to do it but i guess like for considering you haven't played the game i'll maybe set the scene a little bit for you <laughs> but mm -hmm. in breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom you don't like like the the weapons i suppose the way the weapon sandbox is designed is that you know you're essentially just killing enemies and they will drop 
weapons, and it's like a pretty constant supply of weapons. So you might have like sticks that you can pick up at the beginning, and then you'll get like a little Burkoblin sword or whatever, and a little spear and stuff like that, and then you know you can get better and better weapons from harder, like more difficult enemies. Um, and obviously, like their idea behind it is like, well, you have such a constant flow of weaponry coming in. Uh, and we want to make it so that, like, every monster, like, drops a weapon and you have a constant, like, you you constantly feel like you're getting something out of the combat, I'm guessing is sort of their thinking. And then it's like, well, if you, if you don't have durability, then you're just holding on to all these weapons and you filter out the shitty ones and you end up holding on to the best ones or whatever. And maybe they just felt like that wasn't very dynamic, that wasn't very interesting. So they were like, well, we can add this, like, and I'll use the term here, this, like, friction element, you know, where there's a durability to these weapons. And so it means that you have to seek out combat with more difficult enemies if you want to get back your sort of weapon that got destroyed from from using it too much. Um, and even the, like, the Master Sword, you can get it in Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, but it has, like, a charge mechanic. So it's effectively the same durability mechanic that other weapons have, but it doesn't break at the end, it just runs out of charge, and then you have to wait. What is a really long time? Like, I can't remember how long it is. Like, it could be five minutes, it could be 20 minutes, but it's, like, a big chunk of minutes you have to wait for this thing to recharge. And I guess, like, I don't know. Like I said, I can sort of understand their thinking, but at the same time, if that game had a weapon system where it was, like, enemies drop weapons or whatever and you can pick them up and then there's, like, some kind of upgrading you can do to the weapons, and it can be really simplistic, like, like, Dark Souls is really simple in terms of the way the upgrade mechanics work. The Like, the actual stats for weaponry is pretty convoluted and you do have to kind of understand all the internal meta shit in terms of like which stats go with uh, which other stats and stuff like that but let's say like weapons in Tears of the Kingdom just had a very a very basic set of stats and upgrading them just added some extra stats or something I think that kind of system would have just been for me much more enjoyable because (laughs) Like, the big problem with the durability thing is, like, oh, shit, I got this, like, big blue glowy lance and it does a bunch of damage and it looks really cool. And uh, for some people who might even care, like, it looks cool with my character. Like, I, I, because there's a lot of costumes you can get in those games and it's like, well, I made my Link look this way and now he's got this cool weapon that goes with it. But it's like, half the time you don't even want to use the cool weapons because they're just going to break, like, after, like, you know, maybe 20, 30 hits or something. So you end up with all of the best weapons just sitting in your backpack, <laughs> like, and you end up just saving them for, like, fucking Ganondorf at the end of the game or some shit. And then you just end up using, like, you know, like, basic broadsword one, basic lance two. Like, these are the weapons that you actually end up using for the whole game. And I think that's the that's really the big issue is that it's it's taking away the ability for players to like 
make choices as to what they want to use because even though it makes it seem like oh now players will have to make more calculated choices i don't feel like that it actually promotes that as much as they think yeah the, a, a couple things come to mind uh first you're not allowed to talk about dark souls for the rest of the episode second uh i totally see your argument there being the actual design intent behind it with you know we want to come up with a bunch of these cool weapons and the player's just not going to use any of them if some are just better than others and they never break you know they're just going to find something good and then they'll never use anything that's a lower class than that so mm-hmm. the other option is to make sure that all the weapons are so interesting and kind of balanced and good in their own way that they're all applicable in different situations but like that's a huge design ask and maybe that's not the That's intent. what's good in Dark Souls I'm just saying yeah it sounds interesting that it's having kind of an opposite effect where instead of not using the bad weapons because you already have a good one, you're not using the good weapons because you don't want them to break and you want to save them for later. So one of those tricky situations where you're like, here is a solution that will solve the problem we want to solve, but oops, we caused a kind of symmetrical problem uh, with it. And it reminds me of because uh, I used to play a ton of Dark Cloud uh, growing up. And I will not defend that game. But definitely the worst thing about it was the weapon break mechanic. And the way that game functioned was you could upgrade your weapons. You could put a ton of extra stats in them over the course of the entire game. And in fact, your character, it's an RPG kind of dungeon crawling game. And your character doesn't get stronger outside of just your total number of health. Uh, oh, and you have like a defense stat, but that's it. So over the course of the game, you're getting these rare one-of-a-kind item kind of things that will increase your max health pool. So you start with like 90 health and you end the game with like 170. And you might start with like nine defense and you end the game with like 60 defense or something. But all of your damage output, everything was just in whatever sword you were using or hammer or whatnot. So your character kind of that you're playing as is like this sword that you're leveling up Mm -hmm. and then they put a weapon break mechanic in the game so what starts off in the first dungeon as friction oh that sword broke i'll have to use a different sword or wait till i find another one because i don't have any and i just have my default dagger now by the time you're halfway through the game you lost the game if your weapon breaks you're just you're not starting over on that weapon and, and building it up. Like, that's just way too big of a time investment. It's expensive to buy the materials that you need to upgrade the stats as you're getting experience for the sword and leveling it up. So you would reach a point where you break your sword and, like, uh, you know, you're on the moon. I forget, what, I forget what the dungeon on the moon is called. But you'd break your sword there and you're like, well, I'm reloading my save straight up. Just under no circumstances do I continue with my sword broken. It's too, too punishing. It feels like uh, one of those JRPG games, you know, or XCOM, like you mentioned before we started recording, where you have your dude you've built up, you really like, and then he, ha- he suffers permadeath in combat and you don't have that guy anymore. It felt like that. But the means to recovery was just too long. So that, to me, is kind of an interesting situation where it definitely is a friction mechanic at the start of the game. And then it's way, way more than that at the end. But even at the start of the game, I don't really see the value and the friction of your weapons breaking. Like, I never found that to be an interesting or appealing part of that game. 
So I almost had a little bit of like a little bit of a of a PTSD response when you're like, oh, and Breath of the Wild, if you could have upgraded your swords, and then I was thinking they could still break, and I was like, no, <laughs> Nirvana, no, don't do it. <laughs> it's terrible. No, without the durability mechanic. Yeah, no, that yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's tricky. There's a couple of games that have done that weapon break thing, and I've never enjoyed it. Ever, ever. It just I don't like losing progress like that. Yeah. It's it's odd. I I don't yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure it could be executed well, but it's I feel like the problem is it's like, okay, what problem does your weapon breaking create for the player? And then it's like in the example you're giving, it's basically like dying. So <laughs> like they like you said, they might as well just reload their save at that point. And then it's like, well then then dying like not only is this like painful enough to the player that they just want to reload their save and it's basically like death but you're you're almost making death seem less important <laughs> than losing this weapon yeah that's true that's exactly right in dark cloud death it doesn't even matter you lose a percentage of your money and you might have some of your items stolen but your items could be like a bottle of water and a piece of bread like it just who cares mm -hmm. but you lose that sword that's it's permadeath now that's taken place in some aspect and yeah it's way way worse which is yeah that's a great a great point point. and then in other games durability like minecraft for instance things have durability in that and it's a bit better in minecraft because there's a repair mechanic in that game where you can like fix the stuff up which i think is usually fine i think if there's a durability mechanic and and you can just repair the weapon like <laughs> I'm gonna keep talking about Dark Souls, so you just come to deal Ugh. with it. It also has a durability mechanic, but again, you can just repair it. So, and and really, the durability in in that game is like it's more about balancing certain other weapons. Like katanas go through durability really quickly. They're like because they're you know a much weaker weapon than like a big broadsword or whatever the hell. So you have to repair them more frequently, and that's kind of a trade off you make. But if your weapon breaks in that game, you don't lose it. It just, you lose a shitload of the damage. Like, basically, it becomes almost unusably bad when it's broken. Um, until you repair it? Yeah, until you repair it, and then it goes back to 100%. Okay. Um, and in Minecraft, it's like, well, <laughs> the problem that is created from a weapon breaking in that game, like, is busy work, essentially, to my mind. It's like, well, my pickaxe broke, now I have to go make another pickaxe. And enchant it. Yeah. Well, yeah, once you get into the end game again, you run into that problem of like, well, here's my fucking diamond giga pickaxe with silk touch and whatever the fuck on it. And uh and now it's broken and I have to go and get all this back. And I can't remember with enchanted stuff if you can just repair them. I'm not actually sure. I'm pretty sure there's a repair mechanic in Minecraft, but I feel like when I started to have better and better stuff. I think it becomes more difficult, right? Like, you need diamonds to repair diamonds, so it just becomes very, like, cost-prohibitive to repair things all the time. That might be what it was. I think that's right. I stopped playing very briefly after uh, the enchantment mechanic came into the game, but I do mm -hmm. remember that you could, like, you could have your enchantments on hand, like, in a book or something. So that you yeah, you yeah. could like re make another silk touch efficiency seventeen pickaxe out of your uh, out of your books. So it wasn't like a huge thing, but it was it was busy work. But yeah, I, I yeah I think you could repair it, but there was 
some prohibitive costs. That all sounds very familiar. And I don't know, but to me that kind of like, I just feel like, what's the point? Yeah. You know, and, and also to be clear in the dark cloud example, like it, there's, yeah, there's the endurance mechanic, your weapons getting weaker, it's going to break and you can just repair it. That's the whole point of the mechanic is you just use one repair mm-hmm. powder. It costs like 20 Gilda and then you've repaired your sword. But it's just if you miss that opportunity or everything you've been hitting so far does two weapon damage and then you hit, see, the, hit, see the statue guy and you hit the statue guy and he does 14 weapon damage and breaks your sword when you weren't expecting it. It's just, it's just such a big punishment for a little, oh, whoopsie. You know, it's like, it right, just yeah. feels terrible. Um, and I think that's what throws me off of it. But even in the Minecraft example, it's like, I don't know what's being added to the game other than like, yeah, once you get diamonds, the diamond pickaxe lasts way, way longer than the, pre- the preceding levels of pickaxe. And you just don't want like, I guess once I spend three diamonds to make a pickaxe, if I never have to spend three diamonds to make a pickaxe again, then eventually I'm just going to accumulate like infinite diamonds, you know, like they're coming into the economy and they're not going out. So there's like that kind of balance to the resources. That must be what it is, right? Yeah. It's like a way to keep the end game infinitely flowing kind of thing yeah that makes sense i don't know that that adds fun to my experience but it would be hard to tell because i haven't played a game that a version of minecraft that didn't have that mechanic in place so i don't know how much boredom that would actually inflict if i was just accumulating (laughs) more diamonds and i was like i don't need diamonds anymore i got my full armor i got my pickaxe and my sword and everything i don't need these you know so it's hard to tell, but it's if it's adding anything, it's definitely one of those very subtle things that you wouldn't know you're enjoying it until it's taken away. And then you notice it's missing. But while it's there, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like in in all of these examples, even the Dark Souls one, I don't know that I would care that that was gone. Like in Dark Souls, I understand that like you know, if you play with the Uchigatana or whatever the hell it's like, oh, well, now this is something I have to consider. And maybe some people get a lot out of that where it's like, oh, I accidentally hit the wall too many times and now my durability is absolutely fucked. And <laughs> I've been punished for my bad play or whatever. And they really just get a massive erection for that. Personally, <laughs> I don't know that removing durability from Dark Souls would really uh, affect the game all that negatively. And. For Breath of the Wild, I think it would be, <laughs> I think it would be pretty much a universally <laughs> positive change. I was really surprised when they brought it back for Tears of the Kingdom because it was universally loathed uh, mm-hmm. in Breath of the Wild, um, and I was like, for sure they're gonna come up with something different, but uh, they didn't do that, and it was um, a poor choice. I feel like. Yeah, I I wonder what the different would have been though, because just just for sake of argument. Let's just take the weapon breaking out and do nothing else. Mm-hmm. Now it feels sort of silly and perfunctory when you're running around killing enemies and they're dropping weapons left and right that you would will never want to pick up. Mm-hmm. You just want nothing to do with these. Uh, but that seems like a smaller consequence than the weapon breaking, which is pissing people off. So it already just seems better <laughs> surface level yeah. to have. Well, the other thing is that they have these Korok seeds that you can uh, collect 
and one of like they basically give you extra inventory slots when you collect enough of them and and give them to this little Korok guy. Um, and my thinking is that well, if they made it that the weapons didn't have durability, you would just collect like you know fifty of the best weapon or whatever, all sitting in your inventory. Uh, which again, I don't know that there's a problem in terms of like how that'll affect you gameplay wise or your experience but there's a redundancy to it i guess that maybe looks ugly to them on paper as a developer at least in terms of like hey what's a quick fix we can throw in for tears of the kingdom i would suggest that like they should have just reworked the system but obviously that's a lot of a lot like a much more challenging thing to do Mm -hmm. but um because yeah i think they would because like the korok sees there's like 900 of them in the game (laughs) and like I think they're supposed to be like, well, if you're an insane person who needs to collect absolutely everything, this is what you do. So, it, it, like, it does become very beneficial to have a lot of item slots when your weapons can break, because then, you know, you fill your inventory up with all these items, and then as they break it, it matters less and less the more inventory slots you have. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they were like, well, it's going to take away the benefit of collecting these, and there'll be people won't bother collecting these anymore, and. Because it's like, well, if they just have one weapon in their inventory uh, that's really good, then they don't need any other weapons. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I think it's a complicated, it's probably a more complicated thing from their perspective to try to fix in Tears of the Kingdom. And they were like, well, people love Breath of the Wild anyway, and they dealt with that, so let's just fucking leave it in. <laughs> yeah, like the... The complaining online is rampant, but is that actually affecting sales and reviews? And it seems like no, <laughs> the game is <laughs> yeah, beloved. No, I don't think so. so yeah, why expend the mental energy to fix it? And and the design cost of like you know paying people to try and solve the problem and prototyping solutions and testing them and oh nope that didn't work try something else. So it's a very involved process to approach these problems. And yeah, everything is always just way more complicated than anyone thinks you know you just off the top of your head you're like yeah just don't do this you know just have the have the weapons on have that and then the game's better and it's just you don't know what kind of far-reaching effects that that's going to have until you implement it um it's a it's an interesting thing about game design like everything is so tightly interwoven especially in well-designed games that you tweak one number or one consequence somewhere and it just has like it to- totally recontextualizes your experience of the game uh, without your especially being able to in giant triple A games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially in big games like that where you're going to spend like you know a hundred hours in that game world. That butterfly effect is very significant, or that small change at one point. What is that going to balloon into sixty hours later? Yeah, how does it change your approach to making your way through that game and progressing? It's really interesting. Yeah. I want I had another example that I wanted to talk about that from one of my favorite probably not very good at all games ever that we've brought up before and that's that first Digimon World game for the PlayStation mm-hmm. had uh it's hard to know if it's friction though cuz the entire game is focused directly around it but it definitely had that frustration of a you know is it what frictitious I'm not sure experience and it's that you're raising your buddy, like your your partner Digimon guy, to go explore this kind of open world island and go fight bosses and uh, collect NPCs to bring back to town. 
And so there'd be some fights are harder than others, uh, certain stats that you need, certain types of guy that you need to access certain areas. So you're raising kind of a specific partner to go accomplish a task. And to accommodate that, they have your partner die of old age, among other things. You could die in battle too mm -hmm. many times as well, get sick and die. But the big one was they just get old and they die. And old could range from like nine in game days to like 15, I think was approximately the range. Or if you were able to get to the ultimate level, you'd get like a bonus couple of days. But an in-game day was a real-time like hour, I'm pretty sure. Assuming you skip in no time and you skip like a third of that hour by sleeping in the game. And anytime you train a stat, you skip one in-game hour, which is like 1 24th of an hour. So time just flies by. So you're actually, you have this guy, when you get him from an egg, hatch him, you're training him up to be strong enough to beat some boss, which could take a long time. Uh, he's got to go up through the rookie level, then the champion level before he can go out and do anything. So you'll spend like, you know, six days, seven days of their lifespan just training them for something. And then you feel this harsh time limit, like, okay, now I've got to get out there and get as much done as possible before my buddy here dies of old age and I have I to start over again. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I <laughs> I cannot believe that your fucking Digimon die of old age. This is insanity. It's it like it makes sense functionally because they want you to raise a bunch of different it's like a Tamagotchi open world RPG. Like it's so interesting. It's a fascinating game. I think it's one of like the coolest games ever. But it's just kind of like a buggy, janky mess. Like, it's, it's got massive problems. But conceptually genius. But yeah, if they want you to, like, okay, don't just use one guy for the whole game, then they have to have, like, only virus types can get into Myotismon's mansion. And only vaccine of types course, can yeah. get into the ice sanctuary and, and things of that nature. So they're trying to incentivize that. And so then it's like, well, where do I put my guy? And they just came up with the mechanic, well, you only have them for X amount of time, and then you have to raise a new guy, and that forces you to participate with the game mechanic. But man, it's just, you know, as I jokingly said to you before we started recording, like, sometimes you'd have that moment where you're just running to the boss, you trained up the strongest guy you possibly can, you spent like 14 and a half of your 15 days just pouring numbers into his stats, Let's go fight the final boss. And then he dies of old age, like right on the doorstep to the final <laughs> boss's room. And you're like, no, and you have to go train up an entirely new guy. And so oh, like, that sounds horrible. Yeah, it has that effective friction where you just feel that pressure, feel that annoyance of that clock ticking. But I don't know if it counts as friction because the entire game centers around that core mechanic. I wonder, I'm interested if you have any insight on that, although I know you haven't played the game. Well, I mean, I I definitely think you could describe, like, I, I still think difficulty itself would still come under the the umbrella of friction or whatever, you know? Like, I I, I don't, I, I'm okay with using it in, like, very broad strokes, to be honest. Um, But yeah, that, I mean, I, it seems crazy to me that presumably when this game came out, Obviously, they knew adults would play it, but <laughs> it was primarily for kids, I would think. Yeah. And your fucking Digimon are just dying of old age. They got, like, arthritis and shit. <laughs> <laughs> little Zimmer frame as he's going into the boss hut. And then... Yeah. 
Old Grandpa Gorman fucking cokes it. You know what else is so funny is it's the game is absurdly difficult uh, to the point where I don't think we had a good calculator slash tool to use online to help you figure out how to get the ultimate Digimon that you were looking for. Like, oh, I want like Mega Seedramon. How do I actually get that guy? Mega Seedramon? Seedramon. Like he's like a sea dragon guy. Okay. (laughs) Just as an example, like let's say you want that guy. There were... would be fitting with the old age, I guess. <laughs> we just didn't understand enough about the core mechanics of the game to really be able to confidently say, do this, this, and this with this guy, and you'll get that target ultimate that you're looking for until like the 2010s or later. And this game came out in the, in the 90s, right? So you're a kid, you're playing this game, you're getting shit guys all the time because you don't understand how to get the really good guys like what are the stats that you need how do care mistakes actually work what are you punished for when you're raising your partner and the internet's like not really any help so when you finally lucked out and you're like oh my god i got metal graymon oh my yeah. god the and one then, digimon i know i think yeah and then he dies of old age <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no! Imagine your fucking Charizard dies. For people who don't know, Metal Greymon is basically like Charizard. So, if you imagine your Charizard just fucking dies right before the Elite Four. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. It is horrible, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this whole conversation came up because we were talking about friction in games uh, <laughs> for kids. Because I was talking about Pikmin, which... um, I mean, I was suggesting that Pikmin, although on the surface it looks like it's for children, to me, it does not feel like it's built for kids at all. Because it's... Uh, the original Pikmin was incredibly stressful to play, because you have this time limit of, like, you have to get all these parts back to the ship so that you can, like, fly away from the planet. And you have these little cute little guys, and you're like, oh man, these are so adorable. This game's definitely made for children. <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize that you're throwing them into the maw of some fucking alien plant beast that's devouring, like, a third of your little Pikmin army. And it it's just, it's horrific. It's horrible to watch them die. <laughs> they make these little noises. You watch the little ghosts leave their body. It's terrible. And then on top of that, you just have this fucking pounding heartbeat of a timer, like, in your skull the entire time you're playing because you got to get back to the ship or Ol- fucking Olam is going to die in outer space on his own. So, uh, as much as that game has the feeling of, like, pottering around in, you know, Grandpa's garden as a kid looking at bugs or whatever, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's a horrible lesson about the harsh realities of the natural world, I think, for, <laughs> for a child. But, yeah, I mean... I- the point of it is, like, I, I really do wonder what the discussions are like around a game like Pikmin when they're designing it. Because it's like, the game's coming out on the GameCube. It, like, Nintendo obviously is known for marketing towards children a lot more heavily than other developers. Um, the game on its surface looks like it's for kids. And it's like, there must have been discussions in there of like, oh, well... How are kids going to cope with this mechanic of the the timer going all the time and the stress of it? How are kids going to, like, react to the Pikmin dying all the time? Are parents going to want to buy kids this game that might traumatize them? (laughs) Or, like, 
like a we are okay with putting these frictional elements into a game that we're kind of marketing towards children and i mean i, I feel like it's the same in games like animal crossing and stuff these games that are meant to be you know quote-unquote comfy games that you're just sort of playing to relax because animal crossing uh not the older ones, but the the one that came out recently. Um, is it New Horizons? Is that that sounds right. One? I think that's right. That one has weapon durability. Or, sorry, not weapon durability, but durability for, like, your tools, like your axe and your fishing rod and all of these things. They have durability. And it used to be in, in the original Animal Crossing for the GameCube and, and the subsequent two, I think, that came out, which I played a shitload of that original Animal Crossing. And you used to, like, you your tools didn't have durability and they lasted forever, but you also, as you did more stuff in the town, like, if you caught all the fish and brought them all to the museum, you got the golden fishing rod, and it was, like, slightly better than the regular fishing rod, and, and it was gold, and holy shit, was I feeling pretty fucking good about myself when I got that as a kid. Um, But in the new one, I'm pretty sure the golden uh, tools have durability as well. Uh, I think you get them through different means, but it's like, well, what's the fucking point? <laughs> My golden thing is just going to combust in front of me. All that effort <laughs> that I put in. That doesn't and, sound very and, relaxing at all. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, I wonder about certain, like Animal Crossing is very little in terms of friction. I feel like, like some interactions with NPCs, maybe like the newer ones, even less frictional than the old one in that sense. Like the, because you have different, like, your villagers will have different personalities. Um, and you might have, like, a villager with a grumpy personality. And in the original game, you had to, like, build up a rapport with them before they liked you. Uh, and the grumpy ones were, like, real fucking assholes to you. <laughs> like, they would, like, just openly talk shit about you to your face uh, in the original game. And they were, like, super rude to you. But in the new one, like, you don't really have that feeling of, like... They started off hating me, and now uh, they've, like, grown to like me over a period of time, and now they say nicer things to me when they greet me and, and stuff like that, and they're, they're, like, happy to see you and stuff. So, like, that minor frictional element that was in the original, I really liked that it was there when they were, like, <laughs> grumpy assholes towards you, and then... Because it feels a lot more organic, like a real person who's actually kind of a grumpy shitbag. <laughs> but you get to know them and then, you know, you start to see the, like, the nice qualities in them and stuff. You had a bit more of a human experience there, which I feel like is lacking in the new one. But then they add in this other frictional element of, well, let's put in durability on the tools, which, to me, one of those elements is rooted in how can we make this experience feel more organic and and draw people more into the space and then the other one feels like how can we get people to spend more time playing our video games so it lasts longer which to me is a little more cynical than the other one yeah i am very new to the genre of com- of a cozy game uh mm-hmm. you know trying like one or two only very recently and yeah, it's an interesting thing for me to even conceptualize where I sit down and I look at these and I'm like, what's uh, what's the point? What's the appeal of these? But I guess it's just to kind of task at things and uh, relax, like be at peace and comfortable and just kind of, you know, packing your time away, which is nice. So to me, it sounds like 
I don't know that I would mind the weapon durability thing, depending on how you go about it. Like if they're easy to repair, uh, if you break them, you know, are they gone forever? Or can you repair them after they're broken and they work fine? Like if it's just kind of busy work, then I think I'm okay with it. Because that falls in line with my understanding of cozy games, where it's like you're just giving me something to task at while I'm in this pleasant environment. Um, but if if it's like a really genuine consequence for a mistake, like, oh, you forgot to repair this, so now it's gone forever, then that to me is like antithetical to coziness and and makes no sense to me at all. Although I'm also interested in your describing these grumpy characters as <laughs> a frictional element. I don't mm-hmm. think I would have looked at it that way. And I'm not quite sure I'm on board with it, but I think I see what you're getting at. But I don't think when I experience friction in games, I'm not having the same emotional experience as when a character is just being a dickbag to me. Like it's just that's just not it's just not the same thing. You know, when I get hit by, you know, when I get hit by the leaky rad suit in Doom during a a nukage fight, I'm really annoyed. <laughs> like it really bothers me. Okay. But when an NPC is just a douche, I'm just like, well, this guy's a douche. That's his character. Like it doesn't Well, it doesn't I okay, I think I wouldn't use it to describe, like, like say in Skyrim, someone has, like, a throwaway line. Like, there's a character who's a bit of a dick, and you see him in towns occasionally, and he's just a bit of a dickhead to you. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily lump that under frictional uh, element. But because Animal Crossing, the gameplay, the quote-unquote progression, or part of the progression in that game is the interactions you have with the villagers in your town. I think that's why, to me, it seems like a frictional thing. Because if you're a little kid and you talk to this grumpy villager and they're a real dickhead to you, and (laughs) your goal in the game is to make friends with the villagers, then to me it seems like a little bit more fair to describe it as like a frictional thing akin to, you know, like a gameplay mechanic or something. Maybe. Does it work in the sense where you eventually need X item from your neighbor Ron, but Ron won't give it to you until he likes you enough. So there's actually like you have to get him to like you more in order to progress. Oh, um, I mean, I think there there are benefits to like becoming better friends with them. Like I think they do give you gifts and and things like that, but it's not really progression in in that sense, I suppose. Okay, I'm not I'm not quite sure. You've won me over, but you don't have to. But I, I think I see what you're saying. But yeah, I think my idea of friction is wrapped up too much in like that annoyance factor. And I don't think I would ever be annoyed by character treatment or behavior. And like even in Disco Elysium, when Kuno's being like just the worst to you, like <laughs> the worst, I'm not bothered in real life i have no that has no emotional impact on me i'm just like wow this kid's an asshole holy crap you know whereas like you know your your weapon breaks or some kind of actual gameplay consequence happens and now in real life i'm having an emotional effect like oh that's annoying that just hurt my enjoyment of the game but that could just be you know i'm weighing these things differently um but yeah it's interesting it's it so It sounds like what you're saying, though, is that there are frictional elements 
that can exist in cozy games that you think enhance the experience of cozy games? Like yeah. that there's a place for them there? Yeah, I think so. And um I guess the big comparison I was doing, well, it, I guess this is a little dependent because I would probably consider Minecraft a cozy game, but it's also one of the most fucking annoying games you can play like, <laughs> on the planet. Because, and it's like entirely because of the, like, obviously you can play hardcore mode in Minecraft and, you know, you lose absolutely, like the whole world gets deleted or whatever when you die. But for most people, the Minecraft experience is that when you die, you drop everything out of your inventory on the ground. And if you fall in lava and die, you lose everything. Like, it just melts. So, I, I guess, like, I was making the comparison. Recently, I've been playing with my girlfriend this game called uh, Astronia. It's a cozy game, and it's it's like a... It's sort of, you know, in that Minecraft family of, like, semi-survival, uh, buildy kind of games. You're, like, a little space person. Well, I mean, you're an astronaut. And you... You're like on this planet and you got to like find minerals and things like that. And the main sort of major mechanic, I guess, in terms of exploration is that you require oxygen. And so you always have to be tethered to a source of oxygen, which is like your ship or a shelter, something like that. So you have to build these little things called tethers and like carry them around with you and you basically have to create like a big chain all the way from this shelter or whatever your source of oxygen is down to wherever you are so if you go all the way down a mine you need a line of like you know 50 tethers or whatever it might be all the way from you back to the ship so that you're always tethered to like a supply of oxygen and also a supply of power so that you can use your little mining tool like the comparison here is that in a game like minecraft if I go down and I go mining in Minecraft and I dig really deep down and I haven't like I haven't built in a good way for me to get back like I haven't marked entrances and exits and I dug my hole in some random place on the surface that wasn't particularly near my house and my house isn't really like marked particularly well then I'm fucked a lot of the time <laughs> like I'm pretty fucked and you get into these incredibly stressful situations in Minecraft where, like, you've been mining for, like, four hours down there. And you've got, like, you know, like, a, a full inventory of stacks of iron and gold and diamonds and stuff. And you're like, okay, I'm, like, pretty much stacked up. Like, I'm full inventory. And now I need to get back home. And you realize, like, oh, fuck, I didn't, like cross the t's and dot the i's properly and like make sure i had like a line of torches or whatever marking where i need to go back to and then you realize you're lost down in this mine and there's this real like there's a lot of stressful elements that minecraft has one of them food is that you need food or you're gonna starve to death so if you start to run out of food down in the mine and you don't know your way back up to the surface then you're probably gonna starve to death two you lose all your items on death, so dying really fucking matters in that game. And then, you know, you also have other problems like uh, lava melting all of your items. So if you dig up directly, you could just get a pool of lava that falls on your head, things like this. <laughs> and in Astronia, on the, on the other end of the spectrum, on death, you do lose your items. But I would say on the whole, they're much easier to build. And it's, it's way more difficult to die in that game because 
the way you build out from your base, you're always tethered to oxygen and power. So if you, if you're like, oh man, I've run out of tethers and like, I got to stop mining now or whatever, <laughs> I got to go back up. It's like, well, I know exactly how to get back because I literally just follow the big line of tethers I made. So you never have that problem of getting lost. You also run incredibly fast and like can jump really fast in that game. So like your maneuverability is like just makes getting back to your ship or your base or whatever feel so much easier than Minecraft. And then dying, you know, it lays a little marker down for you right where you died. It's really simple to get back. And the thing is like overall, I like I feel like because I like to play all of these obtuse like pain in the ass games <laughs> like PUBG with permadeath and Dota 2 that's really demanding and like Souls games that like have a lot of punishment for death and stuff you'd think that like I wouldn't like these things in Astroneer and they would bother me but because of the context that I was playing the game in I was like you know what thank fucking god this game isn't trying to beat the shit out of me like I just <laughs> felt so glad to be playing one of these games that's meant to meant to be like a nice comfy game and they just made it easy on you like they made it they make it so pleasant to like just roam around in the space you're you're quick and you can move around with heavy objects pretty easily you have a lot of backpack space uh death isn't like overly punishing you never get really frustrated like in minecraft when you lose tons of stuff because in minecraft you could lose like hours and hours of gameplay oh yeah uh instantly and with no recourse sometimes like lava just falls on your head and you die or whatever it's gone uh but astroneer that pretty much never happened i don't think i ever lost my inventory like even after dying i you can just go back and get it so easily um that i never had that problem so i like as much as i feel like i should have a gripe with it i was actually i actually really enjoyed that there was less friction in that game than I would usually experience. How many hours of Astroneer have you played so far? Uh, I can check for you. Okay, I have yeah. 25.7 hours. Okay, yeah. Because my, my wondering was going to be, like, will that game be able to keep you engaged if it's that light on consequences, or will you eventually get bored and lose your investment? But if you've already gotten 25 hours out of it, like, that's a very successful game. That's hooked you in. And and kept you yeah. uh there so yeah that's interesting i because you know as we talk about this i think what was becoming clear to me but now i feel challenged on it was that the whole point and benefit of friction was to keep you engaged with the game and stop you from becoming complacent and just going somewhere else mentally you don't even care about what's happening and eventually that leads to boredom with the game because it's just it doesn't have its hooks in you Whereas if you're like playing Dark Cloud and you go, oh God, I got to make sure I'm watching my weapon durability, maybe just having to monitor that keeps you plugged into the more fun parts of the game and you're very engaged with it and it's holding your attention. But I, yeah, I don't know if that's true. If, if, you know, people are playing these cozy games, like unpacking, you know, they're playing games with just like, there's no consequences. Yeah, zero, zero friction in that game. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they're having a good time. So Maybe uh, maybe that's an outdated notion that I have that that's... I mean, like, that could still be the function of friction, but perhaps it's just you don't need to do that. Maybe you can make frictionless experiences and 
it's just not an issue. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I feel like even in, you know, like in film and TV and, you know, if you if you've ever done any kind of writing or anything like that, there's always this notion of like, oh, well, you need conflict. Like conflict is what makes stories interesting. And and obviously that conflict can arise in like a million subtle ways that aren't as direct as you might initially think. But like unpacking is such a great example because like that game is literally there is nothing. There's no real conflict in that game at all. It's it's just like a nice, pleasant thing to do. Switch your brain off a little bit, and and uh, like my girlfriend has played that, and she really likes that game. And it's just like there are these games now that I feel like were a lot less common back in the day, where you know they're just frictionless experiences, and and people come back to them constantly. It doesn't seem to bother people. Like, and and perhaps it's you know obviously i think it like just comes down to the fact that like a lot of people just have very different driving forces behind like what makes them come back to an experience right because yeah obviously like we both kind of enjoy a challenge like we enjoy being challenged and we enjoy playing more difficult stuff i think uh although i i feel like maybe that's more the case for me and that for you that's only in doom i think i've heard you say before <laughs> really no i love uh i love action games and quick reflex stuff in general i like playing mm-hmm. hard stuff especially as a kid i was always playing like action-based games where you could really express skill to have a smoother experience yeah i'm, I'm into that i think you might be thinking of like i hate fps games except for doom yeah like, yeah i have no respect be, uh... for that genre <laughs> experience whoa, 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 outside whoa, whoa, whoa. of doom <laughs> just for my Holy. own experience just my own experience. <laughs> How many <laughs> FPS games have you played? Uh, a lot, a lot over the years. Um, although my opinions tainted a bit by like a huge chunk of that era was like playing them on PS2, and it's just always a shitty experience to play an FPS game on a controller like that. Is uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some friction if you want to talk about friction. But I, what I'm wondering in the similar vein to what you're talking about right now is, I wonder if just currently like. We're all perceiving life as being pretty tough right now. Like the general zeitgeist seems to be that life is getting harder in some some meaningful ways for people. So I, w- I wonder if that's having an effect on the types of gaming experiences we're having and games like Unpacking, where there's like no friction whatsoever, no negative consequence. If that's a more appealing experience right now, because we really need to escape from uh, you know, the stresses of life more right now than maybe we needed to 15 years ago. So maybe an experience that would have bored you 15 years ago is now like, thank God, thank God I can just sit down here and take stuff out of a box and put it around my room and it's just going to be okay. You know, like I wonder if there's a cult because cozy games are really exploding right now. So I wonder if there's a cultural motivation to that. Or if it's just a new genre we're kind of really discovering and that's why it's popular. Well, yeah, I don't know because, I mean, a lot of people talked about this like in terms of New Horizons when it came out because it came out right when COVID happened and people were playing the shit out of Animal Crossing. Like the sales were insane for that game. It was like Nintendo's most successful game or whatever. Um, And people were like, oh, like... People need to de-stress during COVID and it's like the perfect game to be playing. Like you get to go to this little island while you're locked up in your home and stuff. But you know what else came out and did really well at that time? Was Doom Eternal. 
So, <laughs> and that game is like, you want to talk about fucking friction in games. Holy moly. <laughs> like, try oh. playing Ultra Nightmare Doom Eternal, because that game is fucking stressful. Well, that could be people wanting to express their COVID rage. And Doom Eternal's the... I mean, maybe. I live for that. Yeah, I think those numbers are polluted. I agree with you. I think those numbers are polluted also by the fact that just people had more time to spend at home playing games. So we saw video game sales go up. People needed new hobbies, so they got into games for the first time. And so these big popular games are are getting a a larger influx of players than they normally would. So, yeah, that data, I think, is a little hard to analyze, but... It interests me because you hear about it in the same vein with like, you know, oh, I can't really watch deep dramatic movies right now because like life's too tough and mm-hmm. I just don't need to sit down on the couch and have my heart wrenched or be, you know, have stress you, foisted onto me. You hear that, but then you do. Yeah. You know, Oppenheimer still did well. And obviously it was tied into, you know, they had the Barbenheimer thing behind it. But, you know, a bunch of big dramatic movies have come out and done perfectly fine, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's always tempting to want to be like, here's this new thing, and it's tied into all these societal elements. And obviously, that is true to an extent. But, uh, yeah, it's difficult to tell. I mean, obviously, cozy games in various ways have existed for, like, a, a long time. Like, there were games like Tomodachi Life, on the DS, my my girlfriend played a lot of that. Uh, the original Animal Crossing obviously came out a long time ago on the GameCube, um, and there were always a lot of a lot of games. Nintendogs is a good example <laughs> oh, of yeah. the DS, and that was basically. <laughs> I mean, The Sims. The Sims. I mean, The Sims has some friction in it, obviously, but uh, you know, some financial stuff. But I feel like a lot of people played that game with just the cheats on or whatever, and <laughs> just it was just there as a fantasy home building simulator for a lot of people so yeah i mean i i don't necessarily think they've um they're like a they're like a new thing but i guess it it does seem that um it feels like developers like indie developers in particular are a lot more willing to like explore less gameplay as an option (laughs) these days (laughs) You know, you had, like, a lot of those, like, what people called walk-em-ups and stuff, where you just kind of, like, would, like, you walk around and have, like, a a more filmic experience or whatever, and that, like, there's some mild gameplay elements sort of woven into it or whatever, but almost more of an interactive movie than than a game, and that's definitely sort of come up more and more, and then it's like, well... Maybe, pe- like, developers are just getting a bit more willing to, like, take the weight out of one area and, and put it more into another area and stuff. And games like um, Unpacking are like, well, let's just make it, like, a, a pleasant aesthetic experience. Uh, you have games like um, Valhalla and there's these, like, bartending simulator games where it's just, it's sort of visual novel-esque in that they're, like, you're just chatting to characters and then there's like a little bit of intermittent gameplay of like you mix up a drink and yeah like tavern talk that kind of thing yeah like you gotta know the different ingredients to put in or whatever so there's like a little there's a little bit of core gameplay in there but for the most part it's just like how can we tell a story interactively uh is more the premise of it and again that's like a an incredibly low friction or no friction experience but uh, seem to be quite popular so it doesn't seem that um 
for a lot of people, it doesn't seem like it's a necessary element at all <laughs> in games. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out kind of, you know, in my obsessively analytical way, like what's the correct answer? What What is the exact box that I can put it in? And I think I'm coming down on the side of like, I, I think there's a value to friction that's you, you know, you don't realize it's working until it's gone, but I don't think it's mandatory. And the thing that it would be accomplishing would be engagement with the game, staying plugged into it. Uh, and that even that's not necessary for a good gaming experience, which I just think is interesting. Like I, not really sure how I'll feel about it coming out of that. Like, like when I sit down with a game and I realize I'm experiencing a lot of friction, what should my opinion be? Should I be like, this is annoying. There's too much friction in this game. Friction's bad. Or should my opinion be, oh, this is good use of friction because it's keeping me very engaged with this. You know, how should I feel about it? Is it case by case? Because there's also examples I can think of of friction that are like, they're so pointless that they don't even manage to be annoying. <laughs> But yeah. they're objectively friction. Like the PP system in Pokemon games, you know, you sit down and you're playing like Pokemon Gold because that was my big one when I was a kid. Um, and it's like, yeah, Flamethrower's got 5 PP or, or 10 PP or whatever. Who fucking gives a shit? It just doesn't matter. You're, you're going to PP up it to the max or you're going to save your ethers and stuff for the Elite Four. Or like as you're adventuring through the game and you're getting low on PP for this move, you just go back to the Pokemon Center, heal up, and then continue on your adventure. Like it's just there has never been a moment <laughs> in my Pokemon playing career where I've been like, oh my god, but I can't do such and such because this move only has so much PP, so I gotta change my strategy. It just doesn't matter. It sometimes shows up in competitive Pokemon if you're like playing a stall team and you'll intentionally stall out the PP of a move that you're worried about so that you can then deal with that guy easier but that's clearly not what they were designing for when they made Pokemon in the first place because they've been sort of staunchly opposed to singles competitive play and balance anyway but yeah like to me that's a funny example of that's obviously a frictional element but like shit dude it just does to take it out of the game it does nothing it just it just does not matter uh i do seem to remember spamming fire blast a lot as a kid and running out of pp because i i was like that's all i was gonna use i was like here's the biggest attack i'm gonna use it yeah but like when you run out of pp what do you do like there's very few points in the game where you can't just go back and and heal up yeah, and yeah. then continue on your exactly. adventure. It has to and happen like, in like the same I think fight. Ethers or whatever the hell they're called. Yeah, in that game's elixirs as well. Yep. Yeah, they you weren't really get... hard to come by or expensive. So leper berries, like it was just easy. And like the lowest PP you would see for a move would be five if you'd never boosted it at all, and your opponent has six Pokemon tops. So like, if you're spam, if it's your strongest move, if you're spamming fire blast, like. You're you're gonna kill five guys, no problem. Unless <laughs> well, yeah, because he was rare candied up the fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Obviously, yeah. Or you just take Cyndaquil at the start <laughs> of the game, catch no one else, and you're level seventy at the Elite Four, and the game is no challenge whatsoever. Yeah, they... you know, it's fucking crazy to me that they've just never found <laughs> a workaround for. What if I just use one Pokemon for the whole game? Like they've never <gasps> fixed it. And it's so easy to fix. It's so easy to fix. It's effortless. It's, it's crazy. Just me. put a level cap at the gym leader. Done. 
You can't get o- get over level fourteen until you oh, beat the gym leader. Oh, that would be fucking. I would hate that, especially if I was a kid, man. I would like throw my Game Boy in the bin. Oh yeah, sure. Because it would make the game. You'd have to engage with it and have an actual team and a strategy. So that would be a worse experience for lots of kids. Yeah, but it would be. I think it would. If you did it that way, it would feel. Uh, it would feel clunky. You know what it would feel like, so bad? It would feel like artificial difficulty to me. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. I they don't think put a uh, arbitrary level cap. There's a a lot of ROM hacks that actually I was so jazzed the first time I played Radical Red, which is a cool uh, a cool ROM hack. It's fun, and there's a, a an enforced level cap like that in the game where you can't level above the highest level of Pokemon the next gym leader has, and it makes that game so much better if you're playing as an adult. To me, it does sound kind of gross. I'll be honest. Yeah. It doesn't feel very in the spirit of Pokemon or in the spirit of older JRPGs. Oh, sure. Because yeah. as much as I'm saying they haven't found a good way to fix this problem, it boy, does it feel fucking good in a lot of those older games to be like, well, I have fucking Luminaire and Chrono Trigger in like Magus's Castle when I definitely shouldn't have this and I've just like wiped everyone out in one go. And I yeah. have obviously ruined the entire game for myself. Uh, from this point on, because I'm just going to one-shot everything. But good job me for doing this. <laughs> yeah, they want grinding to be a solution to your problems in games like that. They want you to be able to go out and just train and get stronger and then come back and beat the guy. I find that incredibly boring myself. I think you should have to develop a better strategy or a better understanding of the game. But yeah, you're right. Like The way that Pokemon is set up is you, you can just get one guy and stomp everybody and they're seemingly just fine with it because, as I said, to prevent that would be so, so easy to design for. And there's other ways to do it as well. And I think the reason they don't is it's just like, what's the point? Kids like doing that. People like doing that. You could also do something like hyper-enforce type, like defense and offense. That would be another way to do it. Because then it's like, okay, you have a level 60 Charizard or whatever, but... Like, his damages can be absolute dick to any water type, even if they're, like, 20 levels below him. He could do something crazy like that. That sounds even worse. (laughs) It doesn't sound great. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the conversations they had, and they were like, you know what? Exactly. Just let the kid get his level 100 Charizard. Who gives a shit? Exactly. And it's another one. As long as they don't find out about missing, no, we don't care. (laughs) As long as they don't get 147 (laughs) rare candies. As long as they don't discover that if you go and you walk this exact set path and you talk to this bug trainer in the park and then you switch off your Game Boy in the middle of the conversation with him in Pokemon Blue and then you go to Cinnabar Island when you turn it on and then you go to the side where Missy No should appear, you'll actually catch Mew, uh, (laughs) then we're okay. I don't think you turn the game off in that process, do you? No, you did, yeah. Oh, really? Are you sure you're not? I could be wrong. Are you sure you're not conflating the PC glitch? I did the. I want to tell you so, but I I think I did this about, I don't know, 30 times. So, you know. Well, I did too, but I, I don't think you turn it off. I think you just fly from that cutscene to like the Safari Zone and then leave the Safari Zone and go to Cinnabar. I think the the turning off the game trick was the PC box glitch. Where while the game is saving in Gen 2, you can cut the game and then you clone your Pokemon because you deposit it and save that data, but you don't save the data of it leaving your Well, I I did all of this while hooked up to Pokemon Stadium. 
So it might have been something. Oh different. yeah, it might have been different. Okay, yeah. And it's been a while. But yeah, no, I think I was using uh I was using Dirdrier mode on Pokemon Stadium, which shall I sped the game up, sir. Yeah, you know what? This it reminds me of uh with like, yeah, you can get your level 70 Typhlosion and just absolutely shit stomp the game. And it reminds me of that tweet we were talking about, I think with the Zelda episode we did where that guy was like you are in control of the buttons you press when you play the game and no that like, was the doom that was doom eternal oh, doom eternal. oh okay yeah, okay gotcha, someone was yeah. complaining about uh i can't remember they were like how you can fire the ice grenade or something and and kill uh marauders really quickly i think was the problem they had or something and then the guy right was right like, right yeah you don't have you to do control that. of the buttons it. that you press yeah, and so in the same vein, like, if you want to have a more challenging experience, you could self-impose a level cap, or just make sure you use a full team in Pokemon. Like, it's you actively ruining your own experience if you just take yeah. one guy and use him for the whole game. But it's like... So I mean, many- Erga Battle was exactly the same, actually. To, just to bring in my, my weekly Erga Battle mention. But you can just use one team in that game, and you just wipe, you just kill everything with one team. And you can just sit them right outside the boss and you just kill every team over and over again. And you become so absurdly strong so fast that you ruin the entire game for yourself. Can I just say that I would personally love it if you would talk about Ogre Battles every week, you know, rather than Dark Souls every 25 minutes. Well, you're in luck so bad because I wanted to talk about Demon Souls next, which is a completely different game. Oh, okay. Made by From Software. Uh, the predecessor to Dark Souls, but I, <laughs> but seriously, I did want to talk about it no. in terms of friction. I just think it is—it's like the perfect example because that game is so fucking obtuse. It's like every single area is incredibly obnoxious, and I mean, I guess the Souls games in general have that uh that reputation where it's like, yes, they're difficult games, but they also just do things seemingly to annoy you to the point of uh making you lose your mind like like Miyazaki's obsession with poisonous swamps where like there's there's an area called Blight Town that everyone's very familiar with it's sort of known to be the worst part of DS1 for a lot of people and you're like on these big wooden platforms it's like a pretty ugly place like you're on basically it's like two gigantic sets of scaffolding that are like connected to each other. And at the bottom of it is just a massive like lake of poisonous gloop. And so it's like hard to navigate because a lot of it looks the same. It's really dark. The frame rate was also dog shit, which was obviously not intentional, but on the original console, it was really bad. Inexcusable. Uh, so that we'll, obviously I'm not going to include frame rate into friction, but. <laughs> just the area in general they have these enemies that shoot blow darts at you and they give you they they have toxic in dark souls which is poison but even worse because like miyazaki wasn't content with just poisoning you he's like well let's give you a status effect that's basically the same but uh it kills you twice as fast and like the status effects in dark souls they take like 45 minutes to go away on their own so like you're basically just going to be poisoned for, like, forever if you don't have a way to get rid of it. Um, and, like, just the sheer amount of things in those games where it's, like, well, this isn't going to, like, kill you. It, 
like it obviously it adds to the difficulty of the environment but it's mostly there just to like add these extra little stresses on top of the main focus of the game and the main focus of the game's difficulty which is the combat but then it's also like oh well you hit this poison statue accidentally while you were fighting this guy <laughs> and now now it's like dumped a whole bunch of poison on you and and you're gonna be poisoned for the next i don't know like hour just deal with that uh but i suppose the point is that with demon souls and dark souls this sort of obtuse take on the level design where not only is it like these poisonous areas and things like that where it's like kind of obnoxious but also areas that are like convoluted to get around uh demon souls has a lot of areas that are just like confusing to navigate uh and seemingly deliberately so uh and then dark souls will have like lots of items in the poisonous areas so it's like well you're you want to explore and you'll get rewarded for the exploration uh usually by you know getting items or there's like a super secret area you can access through blight town in dark souls one uh but you have to trudge around in all this poison and stuff and deal with all these obnoxious enemies and all this stuff so it's like these frictional elements in this sense are there to pester you but also it feels like to <laughs> reward people more greatly i suppose who are willing to get through all of this uh and put up with all of it you know these people are actually going to be able to get something out of exploring these horrible areas whereas the people who aren't so good at dealing with the friction they're, they're probably just going to run straight to the boss if they can so i think it helps it does help games like carve out a niche it helps games like appeal to more specific people i think which can be a very powerful tool in terms of holding those people like holding onto those people and, and making them want to play more hours because you know the the people who enjoy those elements i feel like are going to be more in the minority and therefore like they're probably it's like shit i've been waiting for a game that like is this punishing <laughs> for such a long time nobody wants to make these games because it's difficult to market those kinds of things to people or at least it was back in the day when demon souls and stuff was coming out and it I, to me it seems like there's there's extra frictional elements on top of the difficulty of the game is is part of the reason why fromsoft has managed to carve out their niche in the market that they have and why they've appealed to all of these people who are just sort of like not really being supplied with the games that they were after for such a long time it's an interesting mix from what i hear of people saying about it of like genuine execution-based difficulty as well as like um it's being very punishing in some circumstances for small mistakes or you didn't even really make a mistake, you know, you just kind of walked slightly the wrong way and you fall to your death instantly because you didn't realize there was a death pit there in the dark, you know, like 
you could have gone slower, but you don't feel like, oops, my bad. You're just like, what the fuck? And then there's also just like, it's so fucking annoying sometimes. <laughs> Certain <laughs> yeah. aspects of it. The, they hit you on all fronts just to like really muck you up with just the negative experiences so that you have something to triumph despite, you know, to overcome, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So, yeah, there's another application I, I, that I find believable of of friction there and its virtue but there's definitely as you said a huge percentage of the player base that are going to brush up against that friction and just go fuck this man and not participate and if that's your design intent then it's effective if that's not quite your design intent then that's a a, a, an unfortunate side effect that you'll lose people through it although i did want to quickly uh just kind of shout out basically because you mentioned like, oh, I wouldn't call like frame rate dips uh, a game mechanic, you know, or like intentional friction or anything. And there's that, it's just that funny example in uh, MSX2 Plus's Goodwad, where there's that map where you're trying to do that conveyor belt platforming, and there's a lag machine outside the boundaries of the map that causes, causes your frame rate to just crash every now and then. <laughs> just mm-hmm. a huge lag spike, and you have to do this tricky conveyor belt platforming while every now and then just huh, your game just gets stuck and then leaps forward <laughs> and it's like well experiencing nirvana did it first with the oh, okay i haven't uh, tried that 500 000 zombie men map and the uh that's hilarious the map that's a like i think it's like a thousand boss shooters all at once and they just crash <laughs> yeah i think they crash any port that's not boom i can't remember it's really stupid but so funny so funny yeah. like anything can be a game mechanic if if you design it to be a game mechanic yeah I, in this example it, it's not oh yeah no to I be uh, a game mechanic i guess but yeah I'm, yeah you know i it think just reminded any, me any game that isn't some custom mod it's probably a lot less likely to be intentional because <laughs> if you want people to pay money for your game you're probably not fucking with their frame rate deliberately but it's pretty artsy fartsy Although it's cool because, like, you know, if you're going to do that, the console is the place you should do that. Because if you're doing it on PC, someone could just have such a powerful PC a few years later that your game lag mechanic doesn't work anymore. So That's it's true. pretty funny to think about. Well, yeah. I think what's interesting, though, is that you were talking about how people might be, like, put off by those elements in, like, Dark Souls or whatever. And it is interesting to think about, like, there are probably players in, in the Souls games or whatever, and they enjoyed the combat and stuff but they really fucking hated, like, the environmental hazards, like the poison and, and toxic areas and, and, like, all that kind of stuff. And it definitely made me think about how many people in Doom think of, like, they think of nukage and they think of platforming and stuff as, like, things that are totally adjacent to... Uh, sorry, not adjacent to, but oppositional to, like, what's... Uh, What's Doom? Yeah, like they think of like the gunplay and you know fighting the monsters and stuff. That's Doom gameplay, and then these other things are like just irritating things that they have to deal with or whatever. And they're really off-putting for a lot of people. Like people will have like a certain percentage of platforming in a map might make someone just skip the map, or too much nukage without like a plethora of rad suits might make people skip maps too. Yep. And it's definitely interesting that there are these elements in games where it's like people are a lot more accepting of the difficulty produced by certain gameplay elements than they are by others. Absolutely. I'm one of those people, especially with Doom. I 
will play your map, I think, without complaining. If there's little platforming sections, it's not an issue. If there's a fight that I have to do some tricky platform during, I will probably complain and go like, oh, man, this is like this is a little bit wacky, but not skip it. But you'll find those maps that are like, it's just platforming. That's the map. There's no like doom combat. Mm-hmm. So then I'm right on the same page as these people where I'm like, this isn't why I play doom. Like doom is I want to shoot the demons and have fun with that. And you can make me do that in various contexts. But if you take that element away completely and it's just, this is a platforming map and that's it. Then I said, I don't find that fun. That's not why I play Doom. So I'm definitely one of those people where I will like unabashedly page down uh, your map if I find out it's just a platforming map. Or like, you know, you'll be playing Dimensions and I'll be like, man, map one of Dimensions is one of the most fun maps ever made. Map two, I'm not going to play it. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> dealing with that shit. Map three, awesome, you know? And it's just because there's these intentionally slow and uh, tedious and many of them platform sections in map two. And I just get absolutely no enjoyment out of that. And I'm like, I don't like it's testing you on a skill set. It's valid. It's valid design. You should be able to do this. And in a saveless playthrough, it really is setting you up for like, you have to do this long, annoying platforming thing for a long, long time and then do an absurdly hard fight. So the stakes are raised through the absolute roof with that fight. Because if you lose, you got to do that fucking annoying platforming again. <laughs> it's effective, intelligent design. I get nothing out of it. I don't like it. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm so sympathetic to that perspective where people are like, can you not do platforming maps, please? Because I don't like that. <laughs> I just, I can't stand it. Um so yeah, that's that's a large percentage of a player base with any game. And Dark Souls sounds like another great example where they're like, I love the combat. I think it's so cool. And I love the boss combat. That's awesome. I don't like getting lost for long periods of time. Like this game would be better for that hypothetical person if they just couldn't get lost, you know, and they just got to enjoy the fun, rewarding combat. Mm-hmm. So there's always... There's always that situation when you have a bunch of different elements in a game, even if they all have their own value you're just going to turn off larger and larger percentages of people the more uh elements like that you include i think it's inevitable yeah i mean like elden ring is a funny example too and and this obviously this veers more into difficulty territory but um like a lot of people and myself included like my first day of elden ring was basically just spent dying like over and over again because you you come out of this initial like crypt or whatever and then you're just you know dropped into this massive open world and they they don't really give you much guidance they're just like go on like go go play the game which is fucking fantastic by the way and this is how open world should be done in my opinion (laughs) having said that (laughs) i did end up going to the wrong part of the world in the sense that the enemies that I encountered there were vastly too difficult for my gear level. Uh, so I just spent a really long time, like, wandering around, accomplishing nothing, just getting absolutely fucking destroyed over and over again by these, like, really difficult enemies. For anyone who's played Elden Ring, I ended up in Kaled, which, uh, 
if you were following like the online space in terms of uh, people's reactions to Elden Ring in the first like week or whatever, a lot of it was just like I ended up in Kaled and like this fucking sucks, like this is hell. Uh, which <laughs> I mean, what's even more hilarious though is that they put <laughs> there's like you go into this little mine or whatever, and there's a chest. And obviously in Elden Ring and, and other From games, you can you can pick up a chest. Like, you can open a chest and get items out of it, obviously, like every other fucking video game. But in in Dark Souls 1, uh, I think they're in 3. I think they're... Are they in 2? I don't remember. I think they're in 1 and 3 at least. But there are mimics that can... Uh, like, the chest could be a mimic. And if you open a mimic, it eats you and pretty much kills you in one hit most of the time uh and there's a way to tell it's a mimic like the chain on the chest like looks a little bit different so like and you can hit the chest beforehand to like check so there's like little checks you can do but in ds1 they have that and then in elden ring <laughs> they have these chests that teleport you like they warp you to another location so like there's a chest in the op like the opening area of Elden Ring, and if you open it, it warps you to this much higher level area in Kaled. So it's like you end up in this like mine with all these like fucking horrible enemies around you, and then it's like, oh shit, you like manage to like get your way out of that horrible area, and then you end up outside, and then you're in Kaled, and it's like, here's a whole bunch more horrible enemies. And Kaled also like it looks like hell, like it's all red and fleshy and like horrible so like my first day of Elden Ring was just this very stressful experience and I guess I bring this up because like it's I, like it's difficult to like put this into the uh, context of like a frictional element but the fact that they didn't give you strict direction on like where to go like you if you played another game that's an open world it might be like like Borderlands actually I've been playing replaying the Borderlands series recently and in Borderlands 1 when you see an enemy that's like higher level than you you get like a little voice thing from fucking Claptrap or whatever and he's like oh like enemies that are higher level than you have a little skull over them and like they're they're too powerful like you you might have trouble killing them like stuff like that you know and that element obviously in the, the context of Borderlands it helps people understand okay I probably don't want to fight this enemy but in Elden Ring the way you find out if you can fight the enemy or not is you try to fight the enemy <laughs> and then you get fucking owned or or you don't, you know? And and obviously, like, across all of their games, they don't have these types of tutorializations, really. Uh, and it must be difficult from a development standpoint to be like, well, let's, like, it's our first open world game. Uh, we're probably going to get, like, an influx of people coming in who like that kind of gameplay. Like, how should we approach this? And they decided to just be like, let's just drop them into the world and, you know, see how they go. <laughs> and it, it created a lot of stories for people, but I'm sure it also put a lot of people off. Yeah, a, a slightly similar thing is like in Hollow Knight, you can fall into Deep Nest maybe earlier than you're emotionally prepared to handle Deep Nest. And I remember. Well, I think well, I was watching Joseph Anderson's breakdown of his Hollow Knight experience and talking about that moment as being just like one of the best moments in the game as he's like, oh shit, I don't know where I am. It's dark. There's spiders. 
it takes a long time to find your way out of there because it's very maze-like. And he was just so invested and on the edge of his seat, if I remember correctly. So he loved that. When it happened to me, I almost stopped playing Hollow Knight because <laughs> uh, I was just like, I was just annoyed. I was like, I don't know where I am. I don't know how to get out of here. There's no guarantee that when I find my way out, I won't be even farther away from where I want to be. And so it just was very taxing and fatiguing of an experience to have to to go through. So that in and of itself is a gamble. Like you just open that chest and you get sent over to DJ Khaled's house. And it's like, mm-hmm. what if I don't want to talk to him right now? You know, Nobody like it does. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, is that good design? It's hard to know because you're right. It's a story generator and there are players that are going to thrive on that experience. Go, oh my God, I'm, I'm so out of my element here and I got to find my way to safety. And like, that's exciting. And then other players that aren't even doing that calculation maybe on the other end of the spectrum. And they're just like, this game is too fucking hard. Like, what is this? Why (laughs) am I here? It's stupid. So, Well, well, Dark Souls 1, my first, like, five, six hours of that game, I went the wrong way in that game. There's, like, there's, like, I think three main sort of ways you can go at the beginning of the game or whatever. And there's, like, the, the main way that you can go and it's kind of like tucked around this little cliff. You have to like, from the main filing shrine area, you, you sort of go to the right and you, you go around this little cliff. And I never noticed that path even existed. So I just kept running to the crypt, which you're supposed to do. Uh, I think you're supposed to do it right after you do that whole area. So you're supposed to do the undead burg first. You do this whole other area first. And I was just running trying to kill these enemies in the crypt over and over again. And they're these skeletons that respawn. They come back to life um, after you kill them, unless you kill them with a holy weapon, which, you know, you, which you can get from doing this whole other area. Like, you, you'll eventually understand the blacksmithing and all that stuff, and they tell you you're going to need this kind of weapon and shit. So, you, like, you bring one down there usually to do the crypt. And I was just like, oh, well, I've heard people say Dark Souls is hard. So this exactly. must be how hard Dark Souls is. And I was just getting <laughs> fucked, dude. Every enemy was like one-shotting me. I had to bait enemies to like push them off the cliff yep. uh, so that I could kill them. And eventually like I started getting some levels because I was just going through this slog and eventually getting some souls and going back and leveling like once or twice. Yeah, And then I eventually got into the crypt and I was like, Man, I don't know if it's meant to be this hard. Like, this was really fucking hard. <laughs> and then I, like, I ended up just, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to look it up to make sure I'm going the correct way. And then, lo and behold, I went the complete wrong way. And then the game was, like, so much easier. So, like, my outlook on Dark Souls was, like, actually completely altered by that experience. Because I thought the game was that difficult. And then I went to the other area and I was like, oh. It's only this difficult. <laughs> this is fine now. Uh, so it's kind of interesting because it's like, well, uh, it was really brutal to begin with, but now it's kind of like altered my perception of the rest of the game in a weird way. How many people who did that and had that experience just turned the game off and they're like, this game fucking sucks. And then they're just gone. I'm so suspicious of that sort of design. I really worry that it's not a good idea more often 
than it is a good or interesting idea. I think I've never seen the real benefit to being able to get lost. I hate when people build shit. Really? That you can get That's lost in. Yeah. And I understand that I'm very like straight laced. Like I remember watching the the South Park creators. I may have even said this anecdote before, but they're working on um, the stick of truth and they're having conversations with each other and they realized how different they were, Matt and Trey, and their approach to things because there could be like a, a big long side path you could go down and you get to the very end of it and there's just nothing there. And I think it might have been, you know, Trey's like, what the fuck? Why did I, there's nothing down here. Like, what is, what was the point of that? And he'd be frustrated. But uh, uh, Matt would be like, oh, wow, it's nothing. Interesting. You know, like, it's like that's what pays <laughs> off for him. And I'm definitely with Trey on that. Like, I don't like my time wasted. Uh, so whenever I open something up and the game doesn't seem to want to tell me where to go and I can spend like 15 minutes being like, what do you, what do I do here? I hate that shit. It, I don't understand the benefit of it because I've just never had an emotional experience. And I'm like, Oh, look at this neato. Like, I don't like exploring for explorations, uh, explorations sake. And, um, what else was I going to say? Oh, I had a second point and I can't remember. It probably wasn't important, but, well, um, yeah, it just makes me want to say, have you ever played Lisa the painful? Have you played that game? No, I haven't. I actually haven't. Interesting. I think you'd really like the writing in that game, but actually that game, it's I, it's interesting that I just remember this fucking game because it has what I would describe as, <laughs> well, these definitely fit into difficulty, but certainly frictional elements as well that made me pretty much stop playing the game. Uh, a really well-written game. I really enjoyed it. One thing is that it's really fucking depressing, that game. Like, the the world of the game is just really, like, I don't know, it really imposes upon you, like, just, uh, it's like a post-apocalyptic setting, but I don't know. Something something about the world and, and the characters and, and the way things are put out is just uh, very depressing. Even though it's also very funny. Like, it is a very funny game, very well-written. Um, but... The other thing is that, like, there's just, like, there's, like, a chance, like, your party, when you save, you go to sleep at night or whatever. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, anyone who's played this game uh, more than I have, but from my memory of it, which it, it was a while ago when I played it, you can go to sleep at night and then one of your party members can just randomly leave. <laughs> like they could <laughs> like awful there are these random yeah there are these random events that can occur like someone just leaves the party or someone just randomly dies or something that might not be able to happen but definitely like people can just randomly leave and stuff and i think you can i think you can just like reload and uh, and avoid it but uh it has a lot of elements like that where it's just like uh sometimes very frustrating to play and the combat can be really frustrating and it's really difficult like really challenging turn-based combat that that can just be really fucking obnoxious and um i really like i really wanted to enjoy that game because i loved the writing in it but i just wasn't getting that much satisfaction out of the combat like it wasn't very interesting to me and and then, like my party, like that happened to me where my party member just randomly left or whatever. And it, it, to me, it just felt like, oh well, it makes things feel like 
there's less point to it or whatever if my party member can just randomly leave and I don't really like random events yeah. in, in that have serious consequences all that much in games. So, like, that put me off a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's tough because I really wanted to like that game. It had, so, <laughs> it had so many fucking hilarious moments in it. And I really don't want to spoil, like, I really don't want to spoil this moment, but it was directly related to what you were saying. Uh, but it's too good to spoil if you ever do play the game. But there's a moment where it feels like the game's wasting your time. Uh, and it is, but it's all for a joke payoff. That's very I imagine funny. it's like a ladder-related moment. Uh, that right? Have or you no? seen this before? Well, the my only experience with Lisa is Donkey's video on it from years back, which I barely remember. Oh, okay, yeah. So it was it was funny when you were talking about like, oh, the game's really depressing. I thought back and I was like, isn't it like a comedy game? Because <laughs> I just remember laughing. Yeah, it at is, but it has Donkey's incredibly video. dark themes, like incredibly, yeah. incredibly dark. Um, I gotcha. And uh, yeah, I mean, the thing for anyone who hasn't played the game, you know, turn your ears off for a second or whatever. But basically, there's like this ladder that you climb up and, you know, the game does have like rewards for like exploration and stuff. Like you find little secret items and stuff, but (laughs) you start climbing this ladder and it's like gigantic, uh, really tall. You'll just keep climbing, climbing, and it's like screen scrolling up. Because it's like a designed to be kind of old school style, or it's like a rope or something, and you you climb it up. But at the very top of the thing, after like I don't know two full minutes of climbing, there's just like a hand sticking up a middle finger at you, and that's <laughs> that's the reward at the top. That is a reward. That's not nothing. That's funny. Like a punchline is a reward. yeah yeah. In my opinion, yeah, that would be fine. It's just when there's literally like nothing there except like a vista. I'm like, dude, fuck you. <laughs> I how dare you. But yeah, there's there's an interesting conversation to be had another at another time about like just being dealt random punishing circumstances and just having to make the most of it. Like that's not inherently bad. So even this like, you know, if in Lisa like a party member can just leave and you're like that feels shitty, but now you just have to deal with that, then that can be interesting in in games that, you know, deal with that properly and that's uh you know that's what most card games are based around is you just draw a shitty hand and it's like well what's the best play you can make with this shitty hand and that's kind of the design of the game but yeah um yeah it's interesting the only i wanted to like this is like an hour too late now maybe two hours too late but i just wanted to be super clear before we go here that when we're talking about like nukage and doom as an example of friction we're i'm sure we're not talking about uh, very intentional design where there's like a little hidey hole that would make this fight too easy so they make the floor damaging nukage so that you can't camp in there like that's not friction that's a totally different thing when we're talking about friction i assume we are talking more so about like you'll play a john romero map and there's just random damaging sectors fucking all over the place that you just run yeah, through yeah. absentmindedly sure that yeah which drives me insane because nukage is, is a very valuable design element in doom and there's lots of good uses for it and but yeah when you just you're just walking around exploring and it's uh, uh, and you just get hit randomly and you're like fuck man <laughs> uh, i hate that so much but yeah um i'll let you know i'll i'm i'll let people use their imagination a little bit when it comes to friction because there are, there are big blurred lines, I think, between friction and difficulty, you know, and intentionality and stuff. So it is difficult. I 
I would also like to f have more of a conversation about getting lost in games and the positive and negative elements, because I personally, I think it can be a really great thing to allow players to get lost, but... We can try. We can try. I don't know if <laughs> I can be amicable in that conversation. I don't know if I can be polite to you. That's fine. Don't be amicable. <laughs> well, that's fun, yeah. I'll burn this bridge. 